Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman, and my pronouns are she and her. On today, we have special guest Sabrina Joy Stevens, who's going to talk to us about the amazing, phenomenal work that she does. I'll tell you right from the start that all of the links that you hear us refer to are over there in the show notes, so you can learn more about working with Sabrina Joy Stevens. Yes, hello. I am Sabrina Joy Stevens. I use she, her pronouns, and I am based in Washington, D.C., and yeah, I'm just excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Sabrina, thank you so much for making the time. Um, I, I'm so excited to discuss your work, and I'd like to start actually with uh, a great thread that you put out on Twitter. It is, as of now, still your, your pinned tweet. So readers, I'm going to link to it because the whole thread is really, I think, worth reading and re-reading. And Sabrina, I'm actually just going to quote part of it to you. Um, in part of that thread, you said, if you haven't seen a solution to the problem you want to highlight, yet it's just eating away at you inside, that's your call to help create that solution. Be disciplined enough to reclaim your energy from the distraction so you can spend it creating something more powerful, end quote. Um, and that reads to me as insight that, you know, you've gained, you know, in terms of, you know, you've reckoned with something personally and you've clearly thought a lot about that. And I'm wondering if you might just give us a little bit more context, um, you know, in terms of how that thinking came to be for you. Sure. So, um, so the context of the thread was this like recurring thing, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this um, as we go. But um, you know, just seeing a lot of folks in my um, Twitter sphere, and and this is common, you know, across not just you know people that I uh, follow and, and talk to, but a lot of um, sort of not complaining necessarily, but something just shy of that, right? Where, you know, people have, you know, rightly come to the understanding that they need to be outspoken about social issues, that there are lots of, of things that we need to reckon with in society, which is exactly, yes, we should be doing that. But then there's this thing that people do where, you know, for example, I see a lot of on Twitter, either people quote tweeting or amplifying things that they don't like, right? Like they're, they're amplifying things, more of the things that they don't like. And, um, and then, you know, sharing it and saying like, this is, you know, this is an example of what's wrong, basically, you know, I see a lot of also different flavors of this, like, you know, why isn't, you know, why won't somebody do something about X, you know, why is nobody talking about Y? And what's funny to me about that one is that, like, everyone who's saying that is somebody, you know, if you're saying, why doesn't somebody do something about that? And this is an old quote, right? Like, you know, then I realize I am somebody, right? So you are somebody who could do something about that. Same with the, you know, why is nobody talking about it? It's like, you're talking about it and you're not nobody. So, you know, if you see this thing, and for me, this has absolutely been the thing that has guided me to everything basically that I've ever done is, you know, noticing a thing that's wrong or noticing something that's really, um, you know, that kind of like gets under my skin, right? And then saying, oh, I don't see anybody doing something about this or what I see being done about this doesn't seem to match the scale of the problem. And that is like, oh, okay, if I don't see it, then that means that I need to be it, right? That means that I need to be the one to step into that because, you know, I, I really think that it's important for people to recognize when we're doing this work, like every single one of us has a role to play. For too long, we have been given this idea that 
activism, that advocacy, that change is something done by like, you know, some group of heroes over somewhere and the rest of us just got to wait on them to, to arrive and rescue us or, you know, that change and what it is that we need to see in the world is the responsibility of elected officials or people who, for whatever reason, we think have power. And we can interrogate that till the, you know, I could, I could go all night on that one. But, um, you know, and so thinking that there's somebody else's job to do the thing and that by, by voicing it, that somehow that's going to cause something to be done about it. And it's like, no, actually, one, either if nobody's doing something about it, which is usually not true. But even if somebody, nobody is, right, if you see it, it's your responsibility. If you understand what's wrong, if you understand that, like if it's, if it's getting up in your, you know, your spirit, that's your spirit telling you like, yes, this is, this is a little part of the world that you might have a hand in healing. And so paying attention to that, I think one, just from a mental health perspective, it's so much more gratifying to live your life as a person who says, you know what, I see this thing. And if it's in my power to do something about it, I'm going to do something about it. Because then instead of being on Twitter, feeling despair as you doom scroll and look at, oh, there's even more things wrong in the world than I thought. Wow. You know, instead of doing that, you actually have the ability to, to claim some of your power and say, OK, there's something I can do about this. I don't need to feel bad about it. I could actually find people who are working on this already. I can get involved in being part of the solution. And that feels a whole lot better than being upset about the thing that's going on and not doing anything about it. So there's that piece. And I, you know, that is, that's literally the, the genesis of my business. That's the way that I have come to, you know, all of the advocacy that I've done. That's how I came to the classroom. And in my first life as an adult, I was a teacher. I taught fourth and fifth grade in Denver, Colorado. Um, you know, that's how I was called into the classroom. That's how I eventually ended up out of the classroom, organizing around educational justice and economic justice and civil rights and human rights. And um, yeah, I think that it's just a much more, empowered and ultimately a lot, just a more gratifying way to live life, to understand the, your power to actually make a difference instead of waiting for someone or something else to rescue you from something you don't like. And I, you know, I appreciate that your background is as an educator, the vast majority of my listeners are in education as well. And, you know, what you're saying is even a reminder that we should not underestimate the influence that we have simply with our students, right. um, you know, because that's a great avenue really to that exponential growth of we might be having a conversation with 30 learners who they go home, they talk to their families and their friends and, and it can grow. So, you know, again, that's just listeners, that's a snapshot of a thread that's really excellent. So I'll be sure to link to the whole thing. Uh, and I'm glad that you, you touched upon your, your business as well that you founded. Uh, I'll link to that. And on that website, you have a range of amazing different trainings. And the one that really caught my eye is called Storytelling Strategy to Defeat Disinformation. And uh, I'd love just to hear a little bit more about the kind of the origin story of that session. And, and just, uh, you know, I, I'm obviously thinking this is super, super important really for all schools in the coming year. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'd love to just hear a little bit more about the background um, and, you know, maybe again, some of your aspirations for that session moving forward. Definitely. Um, and so, you know, I hope to be able to lead more, um, more sessions of that, you know, especially with education audiences. So the, you know, the genesis of this and related to the, the last thing we were talking about, um, you know, part of what I was talking about in that thread is, one of the key ways that 
people, well-meaning people, and my feed is a lot of, you know, political pros, uh, you know, organizers and advocates, and then educators, and all the overlaps therein. And so something that just breaks my heart is, uh, you know, this is a group of people who, as a sector, across the board, are underpaid. And then y'all get onto Twitter, <laughs> or Facebook, social, any kind of social media, and then pull an unpaid shift <laughs> as PR mm. operatives for the people who are doing all the things you hate. And like, I hate it for you. I hate it for us. I, I've, and I've done this too. So let me not talk about it. You know, something to know about me is that I speak from experience, not judgment. So, you know, been there in that position of, and then having to realize like, oh, I am actually contributing to the very problem that I don't want to be upholding. Um, something that I have done a lot of, you know, both when I was working, you know, so I used to work at, um, I've, you know, been a member of and worked at both of the national teachers unions. And it's, um, I used to do a lot more training directly with teachers, hope to be getting back into that um, now too. And something that comes up so often is that teachers will be in a position where something untrue is being said about schools, about students, about society. And because teachers are so, um, one, just naturally inclined to educate, to tell, to teach people, you know, what's right and what's wrong and all these different things, um, just so easily um, misled into amplifying the very things that we don't want more of. So this, this session is really about how we, as people who are committed to justice, how do we actually start to center our stories our um, our information, like the, the sound important things that we need people to understand in order to take responsibility for their little part of the world and healing it. Um, how do we center that in what we talk about in any public setting, any setting period? I think that you shouldn't necessarily be showing up one way in private and another way in public. I think that needs to be aligned um, if you wanna live in your full power. And so wherever we are, we need to get better at centering what it is that we want to talk about and what it is that we need to share instead of being caught in this trap of constantly trying to debunk and um, disprove what it is that other people are saying, right? So I think in particular, as we look at this conversation around critical race theory, for example, it is so tempting for educators to see some, you know, political operatives who oppose teaching about social justice to um, see them deliberately, because this is a this is a time tested strategy. We've been living through decades of this, of people who want to advance a nefarious agenda saying something outrageous, and then people who oppose that are like, oh, "Did you see this outrageous thing they said? They just said something outrageous. Did you hear the outrageous thing? Outrageous thing? Outrageous thing?" And they just repeat it. And they just repeat it and repeat it, repeat it. Instead of ever telling people what the solution is, you can. There are ways to implicitly refute um, untruths while centering, uplifting, and amplifying what's real and what's valid. And I really feel passionately about teaching people how to do that. So as a communicator, I've been a professional communicator now for over 10 years. And I really, um, it's one of my biggest passions is to help people learn how to re resist those traps and the ways in which we get enlisted into upholding our own oppression, our own, um, the, the very systemic problems that we say we want to dismantle, we actually, we are the ones who carry it out. Because when all is said and done, you know, regular folks, teachers, nurses, um, you know, essential workers of all kinds, we're the ones who do everything that matters in society. 
literally everything that matters in society. The um, the politicians and the you know the elected leaders have an important role, but they don't actually make society. We're the hands and feet society. And so if there are things happening that we don't like, we're the ones who actually need to stop carrying it out. And so when we start to recognize where we actually are the ones who carry out the things we don't like and where we can reclaim our power to redirect our energy and our efforts into the things we want, that's when we really get powerful, right? That's when we really start to see the change that we want. And so the more we can stop trying to correct other people, the more we can stop trying to um, disprove what someone else is saying instead of actually, you know, support putting forth our ideas, the more we actually center putting forth our ideas, then people actually have a chance to opt into what they should be doing instead of being given this weird, you know, because basically the alternative is what we have now where there's people going back and forth, right? Having an argument about something. And so they're having an argument and people who don't understand what's going on can't really tell anything about what's true, what's not true, what they should be doing, even if they recognize that there's a problem with something else. They have no idea what to be doing instead because the people who were supposed to be telling them are wasting their time repeating their opponents. And it makes me crazy. It's so, or I shouldn't say crazy. It makes me really um, just, it, it's it's such a forfeited opportunity. And so I really, um, you know, part of my ethos is that I never want to be, again, someone who just complains about a problem instead of fixing it. If I see it and it just, you know, if anyone who follow, who's followed me for more than like five or so years has seen that, you know, some flavor of that, thread numerous times because it's something that I that I talk about a lot. We really have so much more power than we realize. And when we stop giving it away to the people who are doing the things we don't want and start really centering what it is that we know is right, that's when we really get to be powerful. We don't we don't have power to change other people. That's a that's a lot scam trap, right? <laughs> we will never be able to control other people. What we can do is be such a shining example of what's better. And we can offer the kind of community, the kind of support, the kind of care that is completely missing in what, uh, what we're opposing so that more people start to recognize, oh yeah, that thing doesn't make any sense. And this does, right? We need to fill that space with the solutions that we want to see with the, um, with the genuine information that people need in order to make better choices. And I'm so glad that you're offering that service because, you know, as you're speaking, it strikes me that the deck has really been stacked against us. You know, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit, but, you know, I kind of grew up in my teens that when, you know, the 24 seven media environment just started, of course, now it's you know, that that's become the norm. And of course, the outrage and the distraction that you talk about, that's how that system operates, right? We actually wouldn't really have 24-7 news without it. And so that's kind of the media landscape. But then I also think about, you know, personal relationships too, how sometimes that can be a trap. You know, I'm thinking about if I'm having an argument with my wife, you know, it might start off with something simple. And then it's like, if one of us is upset, you start using that language, like, well, you never, and even mm -hmm. though we know that's not true, but it's sort of like, go to the thing that's then just going to, you know, be the argument ping pong game. That's yep. completely not useful for anyone. Um, and, you know, on this thread of, of communications, which is, you know, the communication landscape for schools has just dramatically shifted uh, when I compare it to the one that I grew up in to the one that I live and work in now. It's just so, so different. So under your services, 
one of the other offerings that you have is you do an auditing for inclusive messaging. And so, you know, when we think about the dramatic change in schools communications, you know, it was unimaginable for so many of us. And I'm wondering if, if you might have a story to share of learning that's really come out of that auditing work that you do. Sure. So, you know, part of what's really you know, part of what people are, a lot of people are doing now is really, you know, thankfully examining, you know, are the things that we are saying, are they, do they align with justice, right? So a lot of people have tried now to, you know, to make statements or to otherwise show that they're aligned with justice, whether that's showing up for racial justice, whether that's gender justice, um, you know, thinking about, the full you know, spectrum of gender and sexuality and making sure that we're affirming all of those um, different identities that you know, our students bring with them into the classroom that we ourselves as practitioners bring with us into any school community. And we wanna make sure that what we're saying actually matches that. And for so many of us, because we have all been schooled in you know, schools that were not necessarily doing the best job of this, we've all been raised in the media culture, which is saturated with a lot of divide and conquer language, with a lot of um, better than, lesser than language. Mm. And so it takes intentional effort to not do that, right? It takes intentional effort for us to make sure that we are not one merely react to, to the, you know, an earlier point that we're not merely reacting to um, negative provocations, but that we're also really speaking the truth as we, as we know it in the most inclusive and accurate way possible. And so recognizing that, you know, and to me, I feel like this is one of those services, like as an, as an advocate, there's always a part of me that's thinking about how do I make this irrelevant? Like I'm the, the rare kind of um, you know, social justice advocate who I'm like, I want to put myself out of business, right? Like I want to make sure that, and for me now, recognizing that I get to make my business around helping people, you know, holding space for people making change. Um, you know, this is a much more sustainable method, I think, than sort of the more um, institutionalized advocacy that I was doing before. But as an, especially when I was doing a lot of institutional advocacy, advocacy work, I was like, how do we put ourselves out of business, right? If I'm here mm -hmm. until justice is real or whatever the thing is, I want to make sure that happens as soon as possible, right? These shouldn't be permanent things. And so I really, um, recognizing that there are still organizations, for example, that do have all white leadership and may not be in a good position to check for themselves, does this land the way we want it to? You know, we can say until, you know, as long as we want, like you, that shouldn't be a situation, right? You shouldn't have an all white staff or all white leadership yet. And still, you're not going to be able to hire everybody you need to change that tomorrow. And so, but you still need to publish things. You still need to say things that are aligned with justice. And so I'm here to help stand in the gap until, you know, I would love to be able to cross that off my website and just be like, oh, you know what? Everybody knows what they're doing on this already. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a nice diverse staff who can check on them so that nobody's, you know, publishing thing that's problematic. But until we get to that point, we need people who are going to be able to look at things and say, oh, so here, you know, here's where this is working here is where it's really not. And you're going to inadvertently offend people or you're sending a message you don't want to be sending or you're inadvertently. And this is, again, related to the, the disinformation work, which is why I spend so much time in this space over and over and over and over again. The thing I see constantly more than anything else is people repeating their opponents, repeating the things that they don't want at the expense of talking about justice, at the expense of talking about inclusion, at the expense of talking about 
all of the things that we really need to be proactively doing as opposed to just complaining about what we want to stop. Right. And so that's really the big thing that's come out of a lot of this. And one of the reasons, honestly, that I um, spend so much time, you know, the most of my time on training, on speaking, on doing workshops is because I want to ultimately help people do this for themselves. Right. I want people to be able to recognize in their own writing. Oh, you know what? I'm centering the problem. I'm centering my opponents. I'm centering injustice instead of justice. And so, you know, but again, there's always going to, you know, for the time being, there is still a need to be able to have somebody come in and look at those things. And so I'm happy to offer that service, but I'm much, you know, much rather teach somebody to fish, right. Than than catch fish for right. you. And so, um, so yeah, so doing, you know, do a, a lot of both, but really I'm leaning more into the, the training so that people can, can develop the in-house capacity to really do better about this stuff. And I really appreciate the stance that, you know, it, it sort of takes in that, you know, it means have some intellectual humility and recognize that the language that's used in your organization, you know, it's really important to check that every once in a while. I think we are creatures of habit. And I think sometimes, I don't know, folks might assume, oh, well, this language, you know, the way that we have been doing things, the way that we have been communicating things has been fine so far. And I think we really need to resist that urge to always think, well, it's fine because no one has complained about it or no one right. has, you know, yet. has said anything <laughs> and it's, yeah, it likely is yet. Or right. unfortunately, I also think if it's an organization where there's a really um, homogeneous leadership structure, it's even harder for that message to get to the top that you need to revisit your language. So it's an outstanding service. Um, Sabrina, the, the audience of this podcast are educators who have committed to rethinking LGBTQ plus inclusion in schools. And of course, the work has to be intersectional. So with that in mind, I know that you also offer keynotes. Um, and I know that right now listeners will be, you know, thinking about some of those back to school keynotes um, that, that are a great way to sort of start a conversation that is hopefully sustained over the year. So can you tell us a little bit about your keynote offerings um, and, and perhaps one that might really appeal to the audience of this show? Sure. Um, so something that I think is going to be really important as we go forward and, and something that I'm sharing a lot with both educator audiences, but then anyone who's really interested in, um, in starting to kind of move toward permanently solving problems rather than doing this back and forth conflict, right? We have the progress, we have the backlash, and then we have the progress, and then we have the backlash, right? Um, and so really, I'm interested in helping more people kind of shut that down and just continuing to move forward, right? And so something that I, um, one of the keynotes, and there's also a workshop that is, so I'll talk about both of those. So the workshop um, that I would highly recommend to a lot of um, this audience is a workshop I do called Choosing Freedom Over Injustice. And so we dig into what it means to actually center a freedom, a liberation orientation in our lives and our work. And contra and, and we really, so we, we start off by breaking down how it is that we get tricked into upholding injustice. And then we really center what actually does liberation look like both individually and collectively? And how do we ensure that everything we're doing is aligned with that? To your earlier point, right? The deck, is, the deck has been stacked, right? There's a, a, you know, a long running head start if you're on the side of injustice in terms of the deep, the sort of default ways people think about a lot of issues. But 
ultimately that whole system, all these systems, these isms and schisms doomed to fail, right? Even if the rest of us decided we don't have any self-respect and we're going to just let this thing slide, earth herself is like, "Mm -mm, I'm not putting up with it. So y'all better figure it out because Mm -hmm. otherwise you will all be evicted on the nonsense of a few bigots and billionaires, right? (laughs) So we all have to figure out, you know, it's most of us, right? The overwhelming majority of people want what's right for this world. And so if we can start aligning it, our resources, our energy, and our attention with liberation and divest it from the ways we ourselves, because again, we're the hands and feet, right? We can divest the parts of us that we are still feeding the other systems and reinvest that into liberation and being really methodical and very mindful about how we do that, then we can actually stop doing this back and forth, right? Where we're constantly kind of trying to argued, negotiate, debate with people who are opposed to what has to happen in order for all of us to thrive, right? Ultimately, if we win this victory, like there's no losers in a just world, right? In an oppressive society like we have now, there's only shades of losing, right? There's different flavors of losing. Nobody actually wins in a rigged game. But if we actually can re, if we can develop the discipline to reinvest our energy where we want it, then we can really start to build the things that we need to see as opposed to just kind of spending our energy constantly pointing out problems. Related to that, there's a keynote that I do around choosing boundaries over arguments. Because one of the things that we do both, again, on a a micro interpersonal level, but then also on this macro level, when we're talking about um, movements and advocacy that comes through organizations and political parties and, Um, when we start to move together, right, is that we're still having this pattern of instead of actually um, solving an issue, like putting it to rest, we are continually trying to argue back and forth. We're trying to get someone else to change how they're acting instead of recognizing some part of me is participating in this dynamic. Mm -hmm. And when I remove myself from that dynamic and I say, here's what I will invest my energy, attention, resources into, and here's what I will not tolerate. Then the other party has to change, right? Because what they were doing that was allowed, that was working for them stops working, right? So whether that's an interpersonal argument between partners or friends or whoever else, if there's something dysfunctional going on, when one person says, you know what, I'm not judging you. I'm not shaming you. I'm not going to waste time going back and forth with you over this. I am going to say that this is what I will and won't tolerate. And if you don't comport with that, then I'm going to take my, you know, my energy, my resources, my attention somewhere else where they'll be honored. Right. That's a power move as opposed to being like, well, why don't you, you always, you know? And so the same way that doesn't work in relationships, it also doesn't work collectively. And so if we're going to sit here and continue to, you know, rant at the people who won't get vaccinated, as opposed to figuring out how do we keep those of us who do want to safe enough to do it. Right. Instead of ranting at the people who are still dug in their heels around race and, you know, like there are certain things we have to be focused on, like, what do we need to do to protect ourselves from people like this? If they're this far gone, I cannot, there's nothing I will say to certain people that's going to convince them not to be a racist. There's nothing I can say to certain people that's going to convince them not to be sexist, not to be bigoted in any kind of way, right? And so what, what we need to do in that case is to actually say, well, you know, these are only a minority of people anyway, right? And if everybody else had their stuff together, we can make that little minority irrelevant, 
right? And so why don't, when we reclaim our energy and our attention from that by, by setting a boundary and then doing the work we need to do to enforce that boundary, again, that's power, right? There's no power in arguing. I personally, I don't argue at all anymore, right? Like I, like the same way I'm proud to say that I, it's been over three years since I had an alcoholic drink. It's been over two and a half years since I had an argument, not saying I've never been mean or having to apologize to anybody or anything like that, but you know, it's, you, it's such a waste of time and energy to be stuck in these back and forths with trying to change something you ultimately can't control. We can't control other people. And that's, you know, something else that comes in, in that thread too, right? You're the only element of the system that you have control over. So if you spend all your time trying to shame other people into changing, trying to argue them into changing, trying to debate them into changing, you are spending all your energy on something you have no control over. Whereas if you start saying, oh, wait a minute, where am I participating in that dy this dynamic? And how can I set a boundary that's going to return my power to me so that I can really start to build on something solid instead of trying to spending my energy, not building anything, but just doing an idle back and forth. That's power building. And so I highly recommend both of those. I think they work really well together. That's why I designed them that way. Um, but that shifting that mindset and really focusing and it's it, it, honestly it dovetails really nicely with a lot of the work many of us are doing around, um, you know, building from a strengths place as opposed to a deficit mindset, right? It's a deficit mindset for us to look at the world and say, I have to, I'll never be able to experience progress until the racists get their stuff together. I'll never be able to experience you know, full acceptance until all the you know, homophobes stop being homophobic. No. Actually, there's enough people out there already who love us exactly the way we are. And if we build things with them, one, we'll be making the world so great that like people want to, people are attracted to connection. They're attracted to love. They're attracted to all the things that are really hallmarks of justice, right? When we really, and that's again, thinking about this, um, uh, choosing freedom over injustice piece, like the, what we root that, that whole um, session in is love, courage, and joy all of those things are magnetic. And so when we really stay rooted in, you know, the love that connects us all and the, the information that we get through that connection and the power that we get through that connection, when we anchor our courage and really, and again, that powers our boundaries, that really makes it possible for us to stand up to some of these things that want us to believe that they have more power than us, which not possible. Like we do everything, right? We are the ones who make all this work. And so when we really root into that, that's what actually brings people along. Nobody's ever really been convinced to do a thing other, you know, either they get completely like, you know, the world, the universe, God, however you want to frame it, knocks them upside the head. So, you know, you thought COVID was a hoax and then here you are on the ventilator. There's that way of changing people's minds, but there's also the way of like, oh, what they're doing just looks more fun. What they're doing is more satisfying. What they're doing is more cost-effective. Why would we continue to do the nonsense when we could do this? You want to uh, draw people in, help have them choose into what you want, as opposed to trying to argue your way towards it, because it doesn't work. It really, we've seen this over and over again. If it worked, we would be living in paradise by now, and obviously we're not. So, so I really just feel strongly about equipping people to be able to just root into what it is that they want. Follow the, the call of love, courage, and joy into building the kind of society that's really worthy of us instead of trying to somehow magically think that if we yell at people enough or if we shame them enough, they're going to just magically know the opposite thing to do and do that, right? 
Yeah. And it's, you know, it is interesting because I think if you ask anyone, you know, have you ever been shamed into changing your behavior? Well, like, you know, maybe when I was a toddler, but I don't think that's how most adults, you know, respond or experience themselves going through a transformation. And, you know, what you're, the, the picture that you're painting here is also one where teachers do need to be really careful of their well-being. of course, this year. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of educators are going back into school, not necessarily feeling like the summer was enough time to heal oh, and recover. Um, and I, I think it's, it's really important to just remember this is about, you know, conserving your energy. Mm-hmm. And I, I promise what I'm about to say has a segue, even though it's not yeah, going to seem like it at the start, you've been warned. But what you're saying also reminds me of what one of my favorite Audible books was this year. And it was Mariah Carey's memoir. Um, it's a great, love, great love, Audible love, book. Love, 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 love. Um, and, you know, she talks about, of course, like the community that she's building and I like it, it kind of sent me on a little bit of a, a trail through like some of my favorite Mariah Carey, like the unplugged that she did back in the nineties is like, just again, like, I feel like a great moment in music, but if you go to YouTube and you look at it, of course, there are some folks who they left thumbs down, they left negative comments, but I do not think that Mariah Carey is focusing on that minority. Like I, I believe most likely she's really focused on the remarkable community um, and fan base that she's generated and just, you know, again, what her music actually means for folks all around the world. So the segue from Mariah Carey's memoir is actually, uh, you know, summer is of course a time for many of us to catch up on some reading or podcasts, film, TV. And I'm always really interested in recommendations that guests have come across. Um, so if there's anything that you're, you're thinking, you know, I explored this this summer or it's on my list um, is there, is there something that you'd like to share with listeners that you're saying like, this is wonderful, or I think this is going to be wonderful. Join me in exploring it. Yeah. Um, so something that I am, um, is actually um, behind me on my shelf. Um, so bell hooks is all about love is one that I really, really appreciate. Um, it's not a new book, but it is definitely, I think a classic, um, and just really, I mean, there's, she, she explores all these different dimensions of love. I think it's, um, it's something that I find energizing when I return to it. I think, especially to the point of, you know, so many people, yeah, a summer is so not enough to undo, you know, and, you know, nothing was perfect before 2020, but certainly going through this whole, you know, experience has been incredibly draining. Um, and so I think I always try to recommend things that, um, that energize folks. So I definitely recommend all about love. Um, I think also, um, you know, I'm sh- sure some of your listeners already listened to it, but if, um, but if you're not already listening to it, I love Brene Brown's Unlocking Us podcast. Um, I think in general, her work has been so transformative for me. And really, I think, I don't know that I would be doing a number of the things that I'm doing right now if I had not um, found her work and really done my own work on like shame resilience. I think at the core of all of this, something that I find essential to my own sense of mission in life is I really just want to help uh, people who want justice get out of our own way on the path to liberation, because we are actually some of the biggest obstacles in our own paths. And we can't do that work if every time we're confronted with our own, you know, shortcomings or our own misallocations of energy, attention, resources, if we just kind of crumble under the shame of it, right? If we're too willing, and I see this all the time as an advocate, especially working in DC politics world, like, oh my goodness, how much further we would be if some of these folks' shame was not mm. stopping them from really examining how we could do better. And 
I, you know, I think that it's so crucial. You can't, you, you won't be able to, you know, accept the audits, you know, right. Of what is your messaging really communicating as opposed to what did you intend for it to communicate, right? You won't really be able to look at your own participation in a dysfunctional dynamic and figure out how to withdraw your energy and reinvest it where you want until you're ready to say, oh, you know what? I've been, I've been participating in some mess. I've been, you know, I have been part of this, you know, messy dynamic. I have been too proud to admit I'm wasting my time on this argument and trying to change that person. What I really need to do is change my tactics as an advocate. Right. Mm. And so all of that liberating work kind of gets stopped right by the barrier of shame. And so it's our job, I think, as people who want to make the world a better place and just want to enjoy our lives more, um, to really investigate how we are in our own way. And the only way we're going to be able to make it through that work is if we're shame resilient, if we're willing to say, you know what, I see you shame and you're not going to run me this time. You are not going to trick me into, you know, doing the same old, same old, because I don't want to look at how I was wrong. Right. I, to me, that's game changing. And yet again, it's, I think it, I, I love that you brought up, you have to be intentional because it does come back to what I mentioned earlier that, the deck is stacked. I mean, mm. I really think media, social media, TV, film, so much of it is directed at, you know, don't feel good enough about this aspect in your life. So you've got to throw mm. money at the problem. Um, yep. I mean, my wife and I used to love watching HGTV and I realized finally, I'm like, I don't want to watch those shows anymore because it makes me like obsessively feel like we have to renovate parts of our house that are fine. Yeah. Oh, um, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so it really... It is something that you have to work at because it's it's quite easy, I think, for shame to show up in our lives. And it's sneaky. Because- it's sneaky. Like you won't even realize it. I, shame ran my life for like the first almost three decades of it. And I didn't even realize that shame and pride were really running my life until I was like, oh, that's why I'm a perfectionist. Oh, that's why, you know. And so once you dig into it, it's like you'll see it everywhere, but then you'll know how it's being used against you. And then again, that's such power when you can start to spot that and then you can outsmart it. And so I really, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Brene's work, big fan of Bell Hooks' work, um, highly recommend folks get into that if they're looking for ways to, um, you know, and I think also something that I would offer to anybody who is really struggling coming out of this year is just to, um, to do nothing, mm-hmm. like take some time to do nothing um, and to just let yourself like you know, I, so I was, you know, working, I did a lot of work to mobilize black voters in the last election. Um, And then I took like a month off to just do as little as possible before starting um, my new business, because I was like, I need to be like, you need to let yourself just, you know, if if you're feeling guilty, and I I don't know why this was just laid on my heart to say this, but somebody out there might be feeling guilty right now that they had all these books on their to-do list, or they, you know, they bought all the book bestsellers last year, and they didn't read them all, like, it's okay, it is okay, because your brain has been doing a lot, your body has been doing a lot, and so you will actually get so much more out of all of this if you really rest, and then give yourself a chance to think about, okay, how can I do this year differently? For me, all of this work is about saving yourself energy. The deck is stacked against us. And so the more you can reclaim your energy and then be really, really laser focused, the same way I used to be petty about catching people in an internet argument. Now I'm just like petty about 
well, it, how do I make this work for what I want to achieve in the world? How do I, how do I turn this, you know, towards justice? Because mm-hmm. we don't have any more, we don't have extra energy. We don't have extra resources to waste doing the things we don't want. We really want to just claim all of that for, to build the things we do want. And so I think, you know, just to bring it all back together, like, you'll be able to reclaim that energy when you recultivate it, right? When you refill yourself back up. And so, yeah, take that time to just, you know. I love that. I love that recommendation. Yeah, I, I once said to a colleague, you know, wouldn't it be useful if we almost had, you know, like the how much battery you have, you see this on like yes. you know, your computer or your phone, like if we kind of just like had that on our shoulder. <laughs> and he said, that's interesting. He said, when is the last time you felt like your battery was fully charged? And I was like, I can't remember. And he was like, me either. Let's like, we can actually just every once in a while do a little battery check-in. Like exactly. Where are you at? Do your things like, you know, more than just, you know, reading another thing or subscribing to another thing, like sit in the sun for a little bit, you know, with your sunscreen, you know, (laughs) like go buy some water, like soak in a bath, (laughs) you know, just rest, like just let yourself do nothing for a little bit. Like that's, that's really important. Absolutely. Thank you for that reminder. I I absolutely feel like we do live and learn and work where um, we need to kind of remind ourselves of that often. So thank you for doing that. Sabrina, thank you so much for your time today. All of the links that listeners have heard us refer to in this conversation will be there for you in the show notes. Uh, Sabrina, wishing you a fantastic rest of your summer. Thanks. Same to you. And, um, you know, best of luck to everybody's uh, looking at a new school year because we need you, you know, to be be able to do exactly what you want to do in your classroom. Stand up for the truth and all those good things. <laughs>